months, years, when it feels like you're just kind of going through the motions. It's just the same old, same old. Your head's kind of down. You're just doing the do. You're just kind of on the everyday, doing everything the same old way. Nothing new. You notice nothing new. Even if there was something new, like even if the zombie apocalypse happens, you're just stuck in this mindset of, it's just another day. It's like Groundhog's Day. There's this indifference that takes place in us. And we live these seasons of our life where it feels like you're just kind of going through the motions. And you know, as, as a follower of Jesus, I believe that we tend to do that with seasons of our faith. And I believe that we tend to do that especially with the cross, Like the cross is everywhere. I mean, each week we come in and we look at this big cross. And now we have that one over there. That's going to be the cross for um, the, the, uh, the prayer cross. And people, I mean, if you're a Christian, your first tattoo is always a cross. And we wear them as jewelry. Some wear them bigger than others. And we some wear them on the inside. Some wear them on the outside. We have rings that are crosses. We, we see the cross all of the time. We see it in public. We drive by the churches and the cathedrals. We see the cross. And I believe that within us and within our faith, we've, we've taken it for granted. We've taken this, this thing, this wooden symbol, and it's lost its power. It's lost, it lost its, its meaning. Let me show you a picture, and I realize that this picture is going to offend some of you. That is a dog nailed to a cross. I know that that is a picture of brutal animal cruelty that lurks in the hearts of people. It's not lost on me that we have kids here today that saw that. It didn't escape me. I want to show you another picture. And what I find is, you are more surprised at seeing the dog than you are at seeing Jesus. Maybe it's because it's a real dog and this is just an actor of Jesus. But we've lost the cruelty that he went through on the cross for my sin and for your sin. The cruelty that he suffered, that's what that represents. That's what that represents. That's what the cross around your neck represents. That's what the cross that you have tattooed represents. The cruelty and brutality that Jesus went through for our sake. And I know for me, I have been desensitized to that symbol. I walk by this thing every week. It's there. I mean, I know it's a cross. I don't think, I don't think we would, you know, we would, we would say that, you know, well, I just don't care about the cross. I don't care that picture of Jesus. If it's only Jesus. Nobody would really say that. But it doesn't shock us anymore. I believe that would change if we witnessed a real crucifixion. The cross back in the day of Jesus, if you were in the 
upper stratosphere of the society and a, in a, a rich Gentile, you would not even say the word cross. It was that repulsive. It was that disgusting. And I, and I think that if somebody from then looked at our culture now, they would be disgusted that we have them everywhere. It wasn't something to glorify in. It was brutal. It was darkness. It was torture. It was suffering. 1986, uh, a medical team set out to kind of map what happens to the human body during a crucifixion. They didn't really crucify someone. But they, they went through all the computer-generated things, and they, they literally tied some people to a cross. And they wanted to figure out nails going through flesh and what nerves are being hit and what bones are being broken and what veins are being um, ruptured. And they measured how the, the respiratory distress of somebody hanging on the cross and, and, and slouching down and their lungs filling with fluid and then standing back up again to try to gasp for a breath. And in this report, which was written about the report for lay people like myself, they came to the conclusion that the term excruciating pain was an understatement. It's pain beyond what we could imagine. Somebody hanging there on a cross. Now, what I find is just, it just blows my mind, is that when God set to creating the heavens and the earth, he knew the cross. He knew that one day he would hang on that cross. And he knew the pain and the suffering and the darkness that he would experience. And he created anyway. The symbol for many has just become a piece of jewelry. But this symbol is just how deep the love of God runs. Just how far and wide the love of God is. And don't ever think, even for a second, that the suffering Jesus, in somehow, in some way, because he was God, he suffered less physical pain. Jesus was fully man, killed by men, and fully God on the cross. And he did not for a moment put aside the pain and suffering. He did it for us. It represents horrible torture and the unbelievable love of God. In the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel, he writes the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. And in that story, there's a little subplot that happens. And it's this beautiful story about the love of God and the grace of God comes out of Luke chapter 23. The people stood watching and the rulers even snared at him. And they're talking about Jesus. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man 
has done nothing. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So there's the picture, there's the cruelty of the cross. Jesus is hanging there, bleeding, suffocating, dying, writhing in pain, gasping for breath, and people are watching him. People are looking at him. Remember the, the crucifixion, the cross was used as a deterrent for people. And many scholars believe that it wasn't so tall, 10, 12 feet tall, but that it was eye level. So you can look right into the person's face as they were hanging there nailed to the cross. And you can see them. And you can see their suffering. And so picture that. Jesus hanging there on the cross. And people mocking him. Spitting at him. Laughing at him. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? I believe that the the words of Psalm 22 were fulfilled. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone. Despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. These heartless people laughing and mocking Jesus. And what I find very interesting in this story is they're watching this, they're laughing at him, they're hurling insults at him, but they admit that he saved other people. Look at verse 35. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. They admit that while he was among them, Jesus performed miracles. And in fact, some of those miracles are what aggravated the religious elites, made them hate him even more because people were now interested in this Jesus character. And Jesus, he healed the sick. He healed leprosy. He, he gave sight to the blind. He opened the ears of those who could not hear he, he healed people who could not talk. He, people who couldn't walk or were disformed. He healed them. He rose. He raised people from the dead. And no matter what, they still hate him. The evidence is staggering. They, they, they can't refute that just Jesus saved other people. And no matter what, no matter what, his whole three so years of ministry... He saved himself. He saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? They mock him. The only thing it seems for these people is that Jesus is going to have to unhook himself from the nails and step off the cross. Then maybe they're going to believe, but I don't believe they're going to believe. I don't even believe that in that moment they would say that's the Messiah. Jesus raised people from the dead. He came to Lazarus' grave and said, move away the stone. They said, he's been in there four days. There's going to be a really bad odor. That means that he is rotting in the grave. Jesus says, move the stone. Lazarus, come out. He comes out. And they still hate him. He saved others. Let's see if he could save himself. You see, they got him nailed to the cross. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, it says, those who are hung are cursed by God. There is no way in their mindset that this man could be of God. 
He is hung from a tree. He is hung on a cross. And anyone that is hung on a cross is not blessed by God. He is cursed by God. They win. Jesus is obviously cursed. He's not coming down. He saved others. He can't even save himself. But they but we know what they refuse to admit. Jesus came into Jerusalem on that last weekend where he would give his life. He came in, he entered in as the king. And at the last supper, he became the Passover lamb. In the Jewish tradition, that lamb had a death sentence. That lamb was going to take the sin upon it as a symbol. That lamb was killed. That lamb couldn't save itself. And so too with Jesus, he would suffer once and for all to take away the sins of the world. He would suffer, he would die. He would not save himself. So as they're mocking him and insulting him, he just stays quiet. He takes it all. Verse 36, it says, The soldiers also came up and mocked him, that offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. I guess the soldiers needed to get in on the action too. All the, all the, the Jewish leaders, the, the religious elite were, were laughing and mocking him. And so they got into it too. And there's this inscription over his head, king of the Jews. And oh, those religious elites, they didn't like that. Read the other gospels. It said, no, no, no. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. What was written, what was written. And it's gone down in history. This is the king of the Jews. I would think that everybody there thought this was, the sign at least was stupid, like a king being crucified. Crucifixion was for criminals. The the lowest of the low were crucified. And I find it interesting that these soldiers now are mocking him and beating him. And as they're nailing him to the cross, Jesus prays for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What grace? When was the last time you prayed for somebody who was harassing you, irritating you, making you, or or, or even persecuting you in some way? God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is being nailed to the cross. Father, forgive them. They have no idea. No idea. But it's not the leader's And it's not the soldiers that I want to talk about this morning. It's two other people in this text. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself in us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, don't you fear God? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In in this story, as Matthew and Mark write in their Gospels, it said that those that were crucified with him were also hurling insults, heaping insults on him. So you've got the religious leaders mocking and laughing at him. You have the soldiers mocking and laughing at him. You have the criminals who are crucified with him mocking, insulting him. But Luke sees something else. It seems that something clicked in one of them eventually. 
He's been watching this whole thing. He's watching Jesus. And something clicks. Something changes. All at once, he no longer mocks him. But he says, don't you fear God? We are punished justly, and we're getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Don't you fear God? I guess this guy had watched the meekness of Jesus as he didn't return insult for insult. Maybe, Maybe he watched him as he didn't fight with the executioners, and he freely gave over his hands and feet so that the nails could be driven through. Maybe he heard him actually pray for the soldiers and call God Abba, which is Dad, Daddy. Forgive them. And that intimacy might have, might have done something to him. For whatever it was, something changed. Something awakened him to the beauty of God's grace. And now, in this moment, this criminal being crucified on the cross, he takes ownership of how he's living his life, or how he lived his life. He's not making excuses anymore. He's not blaming something or someone else. He owns his stuff. He owns his punishments. And no longer does he cry out, save me too. Save yourself and save me. And I get this sense, I get this sense from the story that he comes to this place of recognizing he's got nothing to give Jesus. He's got nothing to give to God. He can't go back and make amends. He's nailed to a cross. There's nothing left in him. He's come to the end of his rope. He's got no merit. He's fully aware now of the sin in his life, which is a pretty big advantage over much of humanity. I, I find that it's, it's much easier to live in our own um, relative... Rel- let me, let me, I can't get the word. It's much easier to define our life by our own personal should and should nots. Like, I know there's things I shouldn't do. I know there's things I shouldn't do. But, you know, it just becomes a very relativistic way of living. That's the word I was going for. So I'm not so bad. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as they are. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not bothering anyone. And, and Lord knows I haven't killed anyone. Woohoo! Good job. Thank you. I think too many of us, we go through these times of confusing our arrogance with some type of dignity and confusing our unwillingness to forgive as, as some type of personal integrity. This man on the cross probably have lived, has lived that way most of his life. But now he owns his stuff. He's not blinded by himself. He has feared God. At least this point, very close to death, he now fears God. I think when you, when you come face to face with your own immortality, something, something snaps, something clicks. You begin to look at life very differently. This guy came to a place of spiritual poverty. He recognized, man, he's, he's got nothing to offer. Nothing. What did Jesus say, Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The kingdom of God belongs to them.
Blessed are those who got nothing to give. The kingdom belongs to them. This guy never confessed anything, never said, I'm sorry, never asked for forgiveness, never said, if you get me down, I'll, I'll do better. I'll make up, I'll give back the things I've robbed and stolen. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say the prayer. Just nine words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He throws himself on the mercy of God, and it's all that any of us can do. When the astronomer Copernicus was dying and on his deathbed way back when, it's attributed that he, he said a prayer And in this prayer, he said, God, I don't ask for the grace that you gave St. Paul, nor do I ask for the grace that you showed St. Peter, but the mercy to which you showed the robber, that mercy, show me. All he could say to Jesus in his spiritual bankruptcy and poverty, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Jesus was pretty quiet up to this point. He wasn't talking much. He was being insulted and mocked and spit on and ridiculed. Even by this guy who just asked, Jesus, remember me. But he's not going to stay quiet much longer. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is that place that all us Christians hope for when we take our last breath. That we would be with Jesus. And it was just now promised to a criminal moments before he is ready to die being crucified with Jesus. I, I just, I wonder what he thought. I wonder what went through his, his mind. I wonder went, what he was thinking. I, I mean, picture the scene. This, this man is hanging on the cross, this Jesus, bloody from head to toe, crown of thorns pressed upon his head, nails through his hands, nails through his feet, gasping for air, moaning in pain, and this common criminal looks over at him and sees the Messiah, the king of the kingdom that is to come. And he says, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus told him, today, you will be with me in paradise. Well, that thief hung there and suffered right along with Jesus. Eventually, Jesus would die. He would die first. And that criminal would die. But the Roman soldiers came and they smashed his legs so he couldn't lift himself up up to gasp for breath. And I could imagine that he lost all hope in ever making it off the cross, that, that criminal. But he had a greater hope. He knew and somehow in some way his sins had been forgiven. And he not only was going to be in paradise but he would be with Jesus that day. Nothing to give, nothing he could prove, no behavior that he could try to engage in to make up for his life. Nothing. 
today you will be with me in paradise. I am not sure that there is another place in all of the scripture that illuminates the truth that salvation does not come by your works. Salvation does not come by your good deeds. You cannot behave yourself into the kingdom of God. It is the grace of God and the grace of God only. The cross represents the brutality of the world and yet the love that God has for each and every one of us. That while we were sinners, Christ went to that cross and died for us. When he was on the cross, he saw you in your worst, in the darkest hour that you've ever experienced. And he said, I'm going to the cross for him. I'm going to the cross for her. The story shows that it's never too late to turn to Jesus. Never too late. Never. I met a band once when I was, uh, I went to a, a concert and this band opened for another band. And the band was called, it was a Christian concert, and the band was called Five O'Clock People. And I thought, what a stupid name for a Christian band. It's not like, you know, like, you know, the blood of the cross or, you know, Whatever. So I asked the, the singer, I was like, what does that name mean? He said, well, there's a parable in the Bible, and um, the guy hires people. And he pays the person the same amount of money that he hired at 5 o'clock as the person who he hired at the beginning of the day. And I thought, wow, maybe I was the stupid one. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with Jesus, how many good things you think that you're doing and performing— You know, dare I say, it doesn't even matter how much chapter and verse you can regurgitate. He came to the place in his heart. He said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. I have messed up. Remember me. I have not lived a good life. Remember me. I mean, people come to church all the time. Because they have messed up so much in their past that they're just hoping and praying that somehow, in some way, God can, can find it in his heart to forgive them. You see this? That's the proof that God desires to forgive you. People come to church because, because they know that they're living in a way that's just not honoring to God. And they're hoping and praying that somehow they can get out of it and that God is going to forgive them. There's the proof that God wants to desperately forgive you. The cross. You know, we've been talking about and we're ending our series called Outcasts this week. This is the last installment. We've been talking about these people on the fringe that God wants to get to, that God wants to reach, whether they're spiritually lost or whether society has kind of just pushed them aside, that God wants those people. But you know, I thought this week, I wonder how many people come to church every single week and feel like an outcast, feel like God is just done with them and they're just clinging on to maybe if they they behave well, maybe if they get a certain amount of times in church that God maybe can't possibly forgive them. It's not by works you've been saved, but by faith. And the, by the grace of God, it's the cross. God's saying, I desperately want to forgive you. Will you turn to me? 
don't know, maybe you know some people that are just, <laughs> that they're so lost that you've just given up on them. Like it's that person, it's the neighbor. It's that person in the next cubicle. It's your, somebody in your family. It's not only, they, not only do they not want anything to do with God, but they seem to hate God. It's never too late. It's never too late. No one is ever too far gone for the cross to cover their sin. For Jesus, he has taken our sin and given us his righteousness. It's never too late. And as a church, it is not only our responsibility. As a church, it's our privilege and honor to share the good news every chance we get. It's never too late. It's not too late for you, and it's not too late for those that you know, for those that are walking far from God. It's our privilege to share. It's our privilege to say God is desperate for you. The cross of Jesus proves it. And yeah, you messed up. and You can't behave your way back into his gr- good grace. It's only by faith. Point them to the story of the, of the thief on the cross. He had nothing to give but his heart. Remember me, Jesus. Remember me. We have some people that are going to pray up here at the end of the service. Um, I don't know, maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel like you're walking the fringe. Maybe you feel like... You've had to jump, you feel like you have to jump through hoops to get into God's good graces. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. If you have put your faith in Christ, you've been forgiven and allowed the prayer of the saints to strengthen that truth in you. And so the prayer warriors will be up here. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a new series. It's called Better, that Jesus is better than anything. And the entire scripture points to him, Old Testament especially. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Peace.